you ever ask yourself, spendthrift trust, how does it work? You come to the right place, although the answers may not be what you're expecting. Hi, I'm Don Thornton. I'm a senior trust specialist. What does that mean? It means that I know from A to Z how this trust works, and my mission is to help you understand why it's such a great thing and why you should get one. In this video, I'm going to talk about how it works. And I'm specifically going to divide it up into three different categories. I'm going to, because there's five pillars of the trust. I'm going to talk about uh, this non-grantor and revocable. That'll be the first thing we're going to talk about. Then I'm going to talk about why the discretionary pillar is so important. And then I'm going to talk about the spendthrift pil pillar as well and how it all comes together uh, and how it works to make it the most uh, genius simple yet elegant solution to asset protection and completely legal um, strategies to uh, reduce your taxes to almost zero. So let's talk about um, the uh, two uh, pillars of the trust, which are uh, non-grantor and irrevocable. So remember, before we start on the individual analysis of these pillars, let's talk about what they are in general. It is a non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary, spendthrift trust. If you are looking at a trust that does not have all five of these pillars, it's not going to give you every single advantage that this trust gives you. So keep that in mind. So let's talk about the first two, which is uh, non-grantor and irrevocable. Because there's grantor trust and there's non-grantor trust. This is a non-grantor trust. What does that mean? It means that for you to get the tax savings that you need and uh, you need to make sure that it is a non-grantor trust. A grantor trust is when you yourself create the trust and then you're also the trustee. So for, for some people, that's fine. For those of you who want to get both the 100% lawsuit proof asset protection and the, the amazing tax strategy, tax reduction strategies, it's got to be non-grantor. Right. And so how does that work? That means that when our clients, you know, invest in a trust, they're not going to actually be the person that opens the trust up, that creates the trust. That person is called a settlor, S-E-T-T-L-O-R. It's also sometimes called a grantor. It's called a creator. There's different terminology. For our purposes, we're going to talk about it being a settlor. OK, so that person is actually the person that fills the paperwork out, and, and creates the trust. So that means that person cannot be trustee. So what, how does that work in, in uh, real life? Well, that means that when, if you decide you want to invest in this trust, and you should, then you need to have a third party who's not going to ever be involved in your trust, not as a beneficiary, not as a trust, uh, as a co-trustee, not as a successor trustee. That person just needs to do his or her job, create the trust. Then that person is going to name you as the trustee and then immediately resigns. And that's why when you do this correctly, and of course we'll hold your hand on how, to, how everything's done correctly, then that means it's a non-grantor trust. Okay. The second pillar that's really important is that it's irrevocable. And so I hear people when they talk about trust all the time, they talk about the fact, well, when I transfer this asset into the trust, it's irrevocable, which means you cannot transfer assets in and out. You cannot use the trust as a holding pin. So, okay, I want to put, you know, I'll put my house in here for a while, then I'll take it back out again. 
Now, you have to irrevocably sell your assets into the trust. So they become the trust's property. Remember, the trust is a separate entity. So you just can't pull it back. No, it's sold irrevocably to the trust. It's a trust property, and that's how it works. And it's also very important because um, you know you lose a lot of the tax advantages with this strategy if it is a revocable trust. Okay, so let's keep that in mind. Okay, let's be non-grantor, irrevocable. So what is not uh, uh, irrevocable for me is my desire that you subscribe. So please, uh, you know, take a couple seconds, subscribe to my channel. That way you get notified whenever I drop a new video. And don't forget, little bell, click on that, and then you'll be notified whenever these videos uh, drop. And that way you get your hot little hands on them at the very beginning. And uh, we're going to talk now about the discretionary pillar of this. Now, yes, there is a, another pillar. It's called the complex. It don't really need that, honestly. It just... Basically, the trust needs to be uh, complex and because that the governing instrument of the trust, which is basically a contract, you know, it has to be, you know, complex in nature. Doesn't I'm not going to go into that. It's really get the deep, dark weeds on that. And it's just I don't even need to. Let's just talk about the discretionary part of it. OK, so the trust has to be discretionary for two major reasons that you're going to want to know about because of the tax strategy. Number one is that. You, as trustee, you control the entire trust. That means you can put uh, beneficiaries in and out. It's totally your sole decision, okay? So this is actually appeals to people, and it's a sad it's a sad, um, sad reality of life is that, you know, people who are older, like I'm 58 years old, I have a 21-year-old son, thank goodness that he's well-adjusted and he doesn't have substance, substance abuse problems or addictions. But a lot of us, unfortunately, do. And so, you know, they worry, parents worry about, or grandparents, depends on who actually has the trust, they worry that if uh, a person, a child is in a beneficiary, is in the trust, and they get access to this, that can really lead to their death because, you know, an addict with money is it's bad news. So this, having 100% discretion as trustee means that you can bring them in and boot them out at your discretion and there's no recourse. Okay. So that's that you have that kind of power in the trust as, as a, uh, as trustee who has hundred percent discretion. Now there's also tax reasons that it's very important at this, that you are hundred percent discretionary trustee for, for it to be, for the trust to be in compliance with IRS code 643. Now, I'm going to commit a faux pas here in video making because you're told to always look at the screen. But I haven't got this memorized, so I'm going to read this to you. And I'm going to read to you a, um, uh, an analysis that was done by a, a senior revenue agent with the Department of Treasury that was responsible for examinations of corporate tax returns, real estate investment trusts, and high-income individuals. Uh, and so on and so forth. This person dealt with IRS Code 643 in this trust for a long time. And I want to read parts of this. So the first thing it has to do with is the capital gains part. So bear with me. It's really quick. So Title 26, Subtitle A, Chapter 1, Subchapter 1, Part 1, Subpart A, Section 643, IRS Code 643, definitions applicable to subparts A, B, C, and D, clearly define and outline that gains from the sale or exchange of capital assets shall be excluded 
to the extent that such gains are allocated to the corpus of a trust and are not required by the governing instrument to be distributed to the beneficiaries. So that means that if you have an asset in the trust and you sell it, the trust sells it, I should say, and that money comes back, normally there would be a capital gains tax. As long as that money stays inside the corpus of the trust and is not distributed to any anybody outside or inside the trust, then it's not taxable. It's not taxable. And that's huge. And that's why the 100% discretionary power is so important. Now, uh, also a huge part of um, you know the, the trust and its tax advantages is that uh, the trust can convert ordinary income from a business like an LLC and have that money come into the trust as passive income. In our situation, a lease payment, I mean, a lease, a lease payment for assets being uh, leased to the to the LLC and as a K-1 distribution because the trust is going to be a 90% limited partner in the LLC. So we're going to talk about how with this coming in as passive income to the trust, how that money can be uh, basically tax exempt or tax deferred permanently. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote from this analysis again. It further outlines that extraordinary dividends are excluded as items of gross income constituting extraordinary dividends. Whereas the trustee, according to the terms and conditions of the trust, in compliance with all applicable laws and the trustee acting in good faith determines that such dividends are allocable to the corpus of the trust under the, under the uh, terms of the governing instrument shall not be considered income. So as trustee, you need to have 100% discretion to classify that passive income coming to the trust as an extraordinary dividend, which means that uh, any taxes owed on that would be, would be deferred forever. And that's really what's really important. So I know this is a very, um, you know, uh, probably new for a lot of people. So I encourage you to go and make a comment. Please comment, engage with me. Not because I want to hear what you have to say. I do. But I want the algorithm to reward me from giving, giving you guys such good content. So the more comments, it helps me out. So I'm giving you content. Uh, leave me some comments. I really appreciate it. All right. So uh, let's talk now about, uh, you know, how does the spendthrift pillar work? And again, we have five pillars. We've already discussed four of them. Non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary. The last one is spendthrift. That's the, that's the fifth and, and last pillar. And this is a pillar that absolutely 100% guarantees that this trust has 100% lawsuit-proof asset protection. So it, that means that you can't, no court can have a turnover order against the assets of the trust. They can't be seized. In fact, the way it works is that, let's say that let's, we're so litigious in the United States, anybody can file a lawsuit. I mean, there's people that will go out there and they'll file a lawsuit. They roll out of bed, they're going to file a lawsuit. So the trust can, the spendthrift uh, pillar cannot prevent you or prevent them from filing a lawsuit. But what it does mean is that when it gets in front of the judge, it's going to get tossed. Okay, because the only two ways this trust can be penetrated is if you do a fraudulent conveyance, which means if you were sued on a Monday and you formed a trust and sold your assets into the trust on a Tuesday after the lawsuit had been filed, that would be a fraudulent conveyance to try to get out from you know, a lawsuit. That would not work. Or if you're doing some kind of fraud with the trust, then that could be penetrated. But listen, most of us are, are you know, law-abiding citizens. We're not going to be doing that. So therefore, 99% of the time that this trust is not going to be penetratable 
And that means that you have the asset protection that you need, the foundation that you need to make sure that you can uh, hold on to what you built. So you, you work so hard to, to, to uh, build, right? And this is why you want to put all your eggs, all your assets, sell all your assets into this trust for the, the Spinthrop pillar. And that's how it works. So what I want you to do is go down in the description, or if you're seeing this on social media, you know, there's a, my website is there. Go there, check out some more information. I've got my ebook there. I've got a, a webinar that I did recently that goes more into detail about how this works. And most importantly, you can schedule a free strategy session with me. We talk about your situation, how this can help you. I can't wait to talk to you. So please take that action. And I'll talk to you soon.